but they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back! I haven't, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Football. What they can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. I know Nigel missed me. He's back with his beard. Welcome, House of Champions YouTube friends. Dropping your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you hammer the like and subscribe buttons as we get stuck into all the action across Europe, including El Clasico's second leg of Copa del Rey in the House of Champions today. We have Jonathan Johnson with a beard. We have Michael LaHood with his regular beard. And we got Nigel Rio Coker <laughs> with an unusual looking beard right there, Nigel. What's going on, man? I didn't want to shave until you came back. That's how much I missed you. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I love you. Oh. Hey, listen, great day, boys. It has been unbelievable action all across. We had Coupe de France in action here. Mm. Uh, JJ, we had obviously what was going on in the DFB, Pokal. We had Copa del Rey. We had some Premier League action, so there's a lot to discuss. So let's get into it. Of course, we begin at what happened at the new Camp or Camp Nou depending on who actually says it. Barcelona getting absolutely hammered today by Real Madrid by four goals to nil. 45 minutes into the game, Vinny Jr. opened the score and Karim Benzema then backed it up with a second half hat-trick. By the way, back-to-back hat-tricks for Karim the Dream. Benzema, Real Madrid have beaten Barcelona by at least a four-goal margin for the first time since January 1995. And Karim Benzema scoring his first hat-trick against Barcelona. Michael Hood, I'm coming to you first. I didn't see this scoreline coming. I don't think anyone saw this scoreline coming, not even Madrid fans. Given the way the game started, Barcelona, they're on the front foot. They were peppering the goal. And I think it was a bit of naivety. And that midfield of Barcelona, they got overrun in the first half up until the goal. Mind you, the goal that started things off for Real Madrid came off a counter, came off a Lewandowski shot, which Courtois did well to save. But Vinny Jr., man, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy is a freaking baller. He showed it tonight. Yes, Big Benz gets the hat trick. But Vinny Jr., he once again was just a thorn in Barca's side. And this guy's world class. We've been saying it throughout the season. And he keeps delivering and keeps putting Real Madrid on his back. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it, it takes me back to the chat that we had uh, a little while ago after Real knocked Liverpool out of the Champions League. Real, for the remainder of this season, are going to pick and choose the big games where they turn up, deliver a performance, Benzema especially. And that's, you know, what we saw tonight. I mean, uh, you know, we can we can pick holes in, in Barcelona's performance as much as we want to, but, you know, Real Madrid are still capable of delivering those big game performances. And, you know, that is a statement, uh, you know, for the remainder of the season as far as the Champions League goes. We know that La Liga is gone. But, you know, now to have a shot at Copa del Rey, salvage something on the domestic side of things and still potentially, uh, you know, have that, uh, you know, deep run in the the Champions League as well. You know, I think Real will be quite uh, satisfied with that. And it's, to be honest, I'm, I'm not really surprised that Real were able to get the win, but... I was surprised by how they just blew Barcelona away and some crazy stats coming out of this one as well. Uh, you know, 
Benzema is now the fourth highest all-time goal scorer in the Classico fixture. He's two goals away from leveling both Di Stefano and Ronaldo. The only player he's probably not going to reach is Messi, given that Messi's 10 goals ahead still on 26. But that's pretty impressive for Benzema. And the crazy thing as well is that Sergio Busquets uh, you know, was on the pitch when he made his debut back in, I think it was 2009, in his first Classico. So for Benzema to have gone from... You know, almost this, you know, came very close to being cast out by Real to now being, you know, in amongst the legends of this fixture. Uh, you know, that is pretty wild. Mr. Ian Joy, what's your thoughts on the game? <laughs> I thought it was an embarrassment from Barcelona in the second half. What was your thoughts, Nigel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you wanted to say, right? <laughs> yeah, That's it. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. I thought... I love you too. Oh, man. I thought... Real Madrid were absolutely sensational. And they're sensational because, for me, they showed every side of football. Michael's already covered it. Barcelona started on like a house on fire. I thought Mm -hmm. this could be a drumming for Real Madrid the way that Barcelona started. But it's what we've always said about Barcelona. They play great football, but they lack that bite. They're so great to watch at times, but they like that bite, that that little bit in the end, that little bit of, uh, I I don't know, that, that, I don't know, that streetwise or street smart you'd say they lack in that. Real Madrid weathered the storm. And I think Michael needs to put a lot more respect on Camavinga's <laughs> name because he played left coming. back. And he played left back at a position where Barcelona thought that that might be a weakness. We can attack him. And Camavinga, the top player that he is, said, okay, you think I'm soft? Try me. And he was sensational. And then to move him into midfield. If Real Madrid do sell him, as there's been rumblings of, he might leave. That is one of the biggest loss that can happen to this football team because he is absolutely sensational. And again, you look at the experience. It's not just the fact of we're watching top players play a game of football. Do we think it's simple? It's how they were coached, how they played so deep defensively, weathered the storm. And that counter-attack to take the 1-0 lead towards the end of the first half was just absolutely sensational. That wasn't players taking... That was coaching at the highest level from Carlos Ancelotti, how he set them to play this game with Modric and Kraus starting in midfield, um, Valverde. I think for me, that is what you call football because Real Madrid show they can do both sides of the game, defensively defensively without the ball and attacking with the ball. And for me, Vinicius Jr. has proved that he is the star of La Liga. La Liga without Vinicius Jr. for me will be struggling big time. I agree with everything you said, Nigel, but on the flip side for Barcelona, it was a bit of naivety and maybe early coaching naivety from Xavi. On the first goal, they had eight players up the field and they were being baited into it. Marco Alonso, what are you doing? There's three players for Real Madrid high up the field, and that's credit to Ancelotti and the Madrid attack, but Barcelona, wave after wave of attacks, sending that many players up in El Clasico, you are begging to be punished against an experienced side. Just a little tidbit in that match. Let me give a shout out to Courtois as well. One of you mentioned it there. The first goal obviously came off mm-hmm. a great opportunity. I think it was Lewandowski yeah. who hit the shot and it was a fantastic yeah. save from Courtois. I thought it was in the back of the net and all of a sudden he pulled out this wonderful save. Five saves, if I'm not mistaken, on the day as well, um, which basically having that foundation from the goalkeeper defensively very solid and then it allows your attackers to go play. I actually like the arrogance from the Vinny Jr. sometimes mixing it up in that. And right now you'll recognize that Barcelona just can't keep their, their heads at this moment in time. 
time. One more stat before we get out of here and just discuss Barcelona's problems right now is Karim Benzema has now been involved in eight goals, six goals he has scored, two assists from him in his last six Clásicos, El Clásicos in all competitions after being involved in just two, one goal, one assist in his previous seven. So really um, like a fine wine, he's improving as it goes on when it comes to El Clásico. JJ, I'll come to you on this one here when we discuss Barcelona's problems and what's happening right now. Of course, there is a lot to discuss here. Stadium, um, scandal, um, Negria scandal as well. I mean, if you look at what's happening off the field for Barcelona, it's really kind of embarrassing. Obviously, we recognize this result, but off the field right now, things are going from bad to worse with Barcelona. I mean, we could get into details, but I want to hear from your point of view exactly what you think about Barcelona off the field right now, forgetting about what happened just on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so many of the questions related to Barca uh, off the field, uh, you know, all come back to the same thing, and that's money. Uh, you know, you've got the the Negrera scandal, uh, you know, in the background, no surprise to see sort of Barca clapping back and, uh, you know, basically alleging that Tebas has, uh, you know, played some role in that and demanding that he's ousted given, uh, you know, sort of the power struggle that's been going on between them, uh, you know, in the last, uh, you know, few years, really. Uh, but I think, you know, perhaps one of the most worrying things is you know this match could be quite historic tonight because it's probably going to be the last classico uh you know in the camp now as we know it uh you know before this renovation that's supposed to Good happen one to remember yeah yeah this renovation you know they, Barca still don't know how it's going to be funded and exactly who's going to be redeveloping the stadium it's wild so yeah. since you know the, those plans were floated you know, everything has changed. Uh, you know, the the costs have skyrocketed. All of the, the original architecture team, uh, you know, are completely gone. Uh, the permits still haven't been granted. So, you know, this idea that Camp Now is suddenly going to start being knocked down in the next couple of months is pretty wild, uh, you know, because, you know, there's no guarantee at this moment in time. Obviously, you'd expect things to change, but, uh, you know, it's nowhere near, uh, you know, the level it should be right now, this kind of project. And, you know, that I think just reflects everything, uh, you know, that is, you know, not really going right uh, at Barcelona. You know, they're a club trying to go places in a hurry, uh, you know, trying to, to, to make up the ground that they've lost over the last couple of years. And if they're not careful, they're going to trip themselves up soon. And this kind of project, you know, could be exactly the thing that, you know, makes them stumble because, you know, they they are, you know, balancing a lot of plates in the air at the moment, notably, uh, you know, on the financial side of things. And it only takes one or two things to go wrong for that to all come collapsing down like a house of cards. Yeah. JJ, with Barcelona leading La Liga with the financial just ruins of this club and the, the club it up in smoke, does that affect the legitimacy of La Liga and their standing in the league in terms of them leading it and maybe becoming champions? I mean, I think that, you know, there have to be, um, you know, questions asked of, of La Liga in the last couple of years based on everything that's been alleged recently. I mean, I said it, I think, a couple of weeks ago as well. I'd also be sort of concerned at whether or not Barca tried to do the same thing in Europe as well. We've seen some dodgy performances, refereeing performances, uh, you know, on the continental stage as well that have benefited Barca. I know that's rich coming from somebody who's followed PSG for all these years, <laughs> but just saying it was a very, very suspicious refereeing performance that night for, uh, uh, you know, in Barca's favor. But no, I mean, it, in all seriousness, you know, unfortunately it's it kind of takes – La Liga and Spanish football into the kind of territory you have sports like cycling, for example, where 
you kind of want to believe what you're seeing, uh, you know, and, and sort of believe in, you know, how organic it is and its legitimacy. But there's always going to be that kind of nagging doubt in the back of your mind, especially when there's these, you know, these controversial issues. And if something, you know, goes Barca's way and you feel like the referee, you know, perhaps could have, uh, you know, given the decision the other way, there will be for quite a while, I think, uh, you know, in most people's minds, that feeling that, you know, that kind of sense of, dread you know of you know our boss are up to their old tricks again kind of thing i also have two questions for all of us are we all in agreement that this could be the biggest mismanagement of a top level football club mm. that we've ever heard of or seen Oof. i mean chelsea and psg the last couple of years are providing fairly good competition <laughs> but I, th- I think when you take into account all of you know the the kind of meltdown aspects of it. Mm. Uh, you know, I think I definitely think Barca are up there as arguably the most mismanaged club of the last, if not ten years, then at least five or so. Yeah, yeah. listen, I think that obviously, we, sorry, mate, to jump in on you there, okay. but I think when you think of the stadium situation, as JJ pointed out at the top, there we have no idea whether this is a, a good thing for Barcelona or not. We have no mm. idea what's happening going forward. Uh, real quickly, before we do move on from the scandal that is taking place, <clears throat> Nigel, I'm coming back to you on this one here. Um, obviously, UEFA president has stepped in and, and made some comments about the situation being extremely serious, so serious that, in my opinion, it is one of the most serious situations in soccer that I have ever seen. And that, of course, is uh, in response to what's happening with the €7 million Euro payments made to a company owned by former referee committee vice president Jose Marie Enriquez Negrea. Obviously, we get that. And Barcelona are expected to, to make a statement. Laporta is looking to explain an extraordinary assembly on April 19th. So I'm intrigued to hear what they have to say about the whole situation. But right now, if we watch Barcelona, I only tune in to watch Lewandowski because I'm a fan of Lewandowski. But from the outside, looking in at Barcelona right now, even after a performance yeah. like that, it is an absolute mess. And we have no idea what could happen with Barcelona? Your thoughts, Nigel? I agree with you. I think it's an absolute mess. But the my other question was going to be to everyone again, is there any justification for any football club to make payments to a company or business that the head of refereeing owns? Mm. I just don't think there can be any justification. And the reality of it is, I say it's the biggest mismanagement in football because of the success that they had and the fact of they weren't playing fair and following the rules. I'm not saying that they're not the only club that does that, but a club of Barcelona's magnitude of all the players that they had, the financial mismanagement, everything that Mm. they did, and paying money into an organisation owned by the head of the referee, it leaves a disgusting stain for me on your club and all those years of success. So I I think it's very serious, the fact of... um, the FIFA president coming out and say that, or the UEFA president coming out and say that, that they've probably got a lot of evidence that we haven't heard yet or seen, but it does put a stain. And you look at the performance today, it was something that we were going to say is the new start or the new style of Barcelona now without a Lionel Messi, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's horrible. Yeah, I I think today's result is poetic justice for the -the off-the-field issues. This is a top-down affair. The fact that you can't even register players, you give Gavi a contract, and it's not clean through the books. You're selling shares. You're selling image rights. You used to be one of the gold standards in European football because of the romanticization of Barcelona. I think that that is being tarnished with every day and every second the ticks given this year. Yeah, one great comment coming in from Vic. He's not happy about the fact that you threw Chelsea and they're the most successful English club in the last two decades in a mismanaged category. He's like, wait a minute, we've made a few mistakes, but we're not mismanaged, says uh, oh, the man Vic. who's oh, 15. Oh, Frank Lampard sitting in the stands yesterday 
Ian, oh. let's have Vic. Vic, you're 100% right. Chelsea shouldn't be in there because I think for me, Chelsea's more stupidity than actual common sense. <laughs> where Barcelona knew exactly what they were doing, when they were doing, and they were successful for a long time. Oh. So Barcelona was really cheating while Chelsea was just complete mismanagement and stupidity. How's Modric doing for you, Vic? Oh, interesting right there. JJ, before we do head to break, i got to touch on the fact that Lionel Messi, the potential return to Barcelona, is clearly there. Everyone's talking about the meeting that's taking place with Barcelona. Can Barcelona get this deal done that they could get him back and finish his career at Barcelona? But realistically, you're the one that's followed Messi the closest over the last couple of years. It's certainly picking up steam that he could move to the Middle East. What's the latest there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the the latest is not encouraging. If you're a PSG fan, it doesn't sound like Lionel Messi will, will be around that much longer. Then again, I'm saying it's not that encouraging if you're a PSG fan, but it's the PSG fans who don't really want Messi continuing beyond the summer. So, you know, it sounds like they're probably going to get what, they, what they're hoping for. Personally, I think from the, the financial point of view, what PSG are looking at ahead of this summer, it makes sense to separate with Messi and Ramos now. That's not to say that Messi's been a flop with PSG. He hasn't. His second season's been much better than the first. But, you know, there's a massive amount of truth in, you know, saying that Lionel Messi's first half of the season was a lot better than his second. Uh, you know, and too many of the, the PSG players have been off the boil in the second half of the season after the World Cup. So Messi... You know, based on sort of what uh, you saw Nasser Al-Halafi saying publicly, you know, while not saying anything publicly, you know, I think that speaks volumes about how close Messi, uh, you know, is to to, to the PSG uh, exit right now. But the one thing that I would say is, you know, there's that saying, never go back. And I think that that rings especially true here. You know, everything that Messi has and, you know, his his kind of legend at Barca was slightly... Uh, you know, damaged sort of the way that he 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 left the club. Not to say that you know he's not considered a club legend. Of course, he is. You know, he's one of the the biggest legends in in modern football, let alone you know Barcelona's history. But he would put that in his hands and risk it all if he went back. Uh, and I don't think there's any guarantee that that would be successful. So I'm I'm not you know suggesting that he should take the 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 big money offer from Saudi Arabia, but equally. Going back to Barca at this moment in time would be a desperation move from him to stay in Europe, but also from Barca trying to find some way out of this mess that they've created. All right, well said. Let's get to a quick break, guys. Uh, more to come from the House of Champions boys when we return. Stick around. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. If you are a US-based fan of the beautiful game, Paramount Plus is an absolute must-have subscription from NWSL to the Champions League to Serie A and so much more in between. Not sure it's for you? Okay. 
then you can try a one month for free by using the code NWSL2023. Welcome back. House of Champions is with you. Nigel Rio Coker, Michael LaHood, and Jonathan Johnson. Let's discuss the Premier League boys and whip it through it here. Manchester United getting the 1-0 victory. Marcus Rashford on the score sheet once again. Rashford has scored more Premier League goals than any other player since the World Cup with 11 goals only. Victor Osimhen netting more goals Ooh. in that pure across Europe's top five leagues. Marcus Rashford has now equaled Andy Cole with 121 mm. goals at Manchester United. More stats to come from that game, but I also want to touch upon the fact that Newcastle absolutely hammered your former club there. Nige by five goals to one to beat West Ham. Wilson with a double. Joe Linton with a double. Alexander Isak with a goal. Zuma did pull one back when it was 2-0 up. Um, but really great to see for Callum Wilson as well. He is now, what, 30 goals in 7-2-2 appearances for Newcastle. And one little stat I want to throw at you here is only Wayne Rooney with 14, Michael Owen with 13, have scored more Premier League goals against West Ham than mm-hmm. Callum Wilson, who is now 12. Um, not bad for him. That is his favourite opponent. Nigel, coming to you. Biggest story of the Premier League match day today. United get the win. Newcastle get a massive went and West Ham once again in serious trouble West Ham have been in big trouble for a long time so I'm not honestly surprised if I'm honest and uh, I think for me this was the game to watch obviously I know Manchester United are pushing for top four so and Newcastle but this was the game because of the implications on both ends of the table Newcastle pushing for a top four West Ham trying to stay out of the relegation zone that's a big loss. And it wasn't just a fact of a loss. It was a statement loss. Um, 5-1, up, I think it finished off. Half the stadium was empty. I personally think that David Moyes' time at the club is going to be up now because you look at what's happened recently with loads of managers who've lost their jobs in the bottom half of the table. Some teams it's worked out for and reacted well. And we're all easily influenced by what we see. So I would not be surprised if what's happened recently that the West Ham owners get influenced by other clubs' decisions and maybe call it a day now while they've still got a chance to maybe stay up. But Newcastle was sensational. West Ham were poor, especially when you come out in the second half and to concede that goal to trying to play out the back. It was just, it was, it was terrible. A terrible performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, agree with, uh, with Nigel. It's, it, it feels like it's time now for, for for David Moyes and West Ham. To be honest, it's felt like it's been time for for a while. You know, it predates this result. Uh, you know, but I think there's there's a large element of truth in what Nigel's saying. In that West Ham will be looking at what other clubs are doing around them. You know, not all of those clubs are getting the new manager bounce they would have hoped for. But you know, everyone sort of believes in that, especially when you're down at the wrong end of the table and at this point of the season. Uh, and I really, uh, you know, I cannot see any way that Moyes keeps West Ham in the in the Premier League. So I think that, you know, that decision has to be taken sort of in the coming hours, really. Uh, and even then, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's necessarily a guarantee that West Ham are suddenly going to find some form and, and be performing. But I think it's the only sort of card they have left to play now. They, they, they have to gamble because if things stay as they are, they're not going to pick up enough points to avoid relegation between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I agree with you both there. Certainly um, not happy to see West Ham in that type of position. But for Newcastle, while their goal difference right now defensively compared to the goals that they're scoring is absolutely sensational, moving back into third with that victory. Uh, Mike, real quickly from you, we touch upon Manchester United. I just want to throw something at you here. Manchester United in 21-22, 38 games, 16 wins. Manchester United in 22-23, 28 games. Now already reached 16 wins. Things are going pretty well. Back to winning ways for Ten Hag. Yeah, they just needed me to go on my usual weekly loss rant to get them the little kick in the backside to get going. What I love about this United team and this year is their ability to react when things haven't gone well. After Arsenal, they play EFL Cup semifinal. They react. 
after the 7-0 drubbing against Liverpool, Europa League, they react 4-1 performance. Today, against Brentford, that sting of the result at the start of the season, every United fan was thinking about revenge. You had to get a statement performance, but it makes no difference if you don't get the three points. And it was job done. Now you move forward to the next match, which is Everton at the weekend. And a little thing called the Europa League quarterfinals against Sevilla. Tricky fixture, getting wins and getting back to form is massive. Good, ugly win, Mike. Good, ugly win. Well done. <laughs> three points. Yeah. They all count here. Uh, one little stat before we do move on. Most goals scored for Manchester United in a single season since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Zlatan scored 28 back in 16-17. Mm. Bruno scored 28 in 2021. Marcus Rashford already on 28 competitions in uh, this wow. season as well. So expect him to break that. Let's turn our attention to what's happening around the rest of the Premier League. We obviously want to discuss uh, what's happening at Chelsea right now. JJ, I'll come to you on this one. Uh, Frank Lampard, I think we were all kind of interested to see you. <laughs> him sitting in the stands yesterday and it looks like he uh yeah he's open to accept the Chelsea job until the end of the season is this a good idea do you understand this idea where the hell did this come from I mean it's this is absolute nonsense I mean does nobody in this situation have any shame does does Lampard not have some professional pride before you go in quickly JJ let me just say maybe he might have been Uh, hanging out with Todd Bowley that time he was in LA a couple of years back so Todd Bowley might have met him and that's why they kind of get this opportunity so you can't blame him he's also a legend at the club so what make him an ambassador don't make him so the head co- the, the manager of the club. I mean, if if, if, Lamp- if Lampard let, if let Lampard wants quick. back if Lampard wants back in one of his former clubs, he should take the West Ham job, Nudge. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe coming for that. that one. <laughs> I'm just going to say this, Ian. How are you going to take someone back that was in charge mm. that you sacked that the club sacked, and then the manager who came in won the Champions League with a below par squad, and he upset a lot of senior players made didn't like Lampard and you want to take him back now in this situation where they're not playing like a team there's no identity in Chelsea it's a bunch of individuals as soon as he comes back in that dressing room those same senior players mm-hmm. who didn't really take to Lampard how do you think they're going to react again now but From equally equally this now makes it a really really difficult job for Bruno Salto while he remains mm-hmm. in charge because he knows already that not only are Chelsea lining up a long-term replacement for him, logically, sort of from the summer, they're lining up a short-term replacement for him as well. It might not happen in time for the weekend, so he might still have a game in charge. It's it's a very, very messy situation. And I think, to be honest, Dream. while you've already got an interim boss in place, why do you need to appoint another interim boss <laughs> while you're pursuing the main target? It's, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah, I, if I'm a main I target... Like how, I don't like how I'm sounding like Roy Keane, but it's, it is madness. <laughs> But if, I, if I'm a main target, I'm, I'm having second thoughts already when I see this. This tells you how toxic the club is. This tells you how directionless the club is when they're making a calamity of things. When you have a manager that's going to come in in the future, the, the thing you do is clear the runway. And if it's Julian Nagelsmann who wants to feel like the main man and want to know that, hey, we believe in you, this is going to be your project, seeing this is going to put major question in whether it's his mind or Luis Enrique's. After watching that game today from Real Madrid against uh, Barcelona, any chance, Nigel, here for Chelsea? Need to score, don't they? <laughs> no chance. They've got absolute no chance. I mean, I watched Chelsea in, in their last game and they were absolutely... Oh. They're, they're, they're a bunch of individuals. That is it. That's all I see is a bunch of individuals. I don't see a team. I don't see a simple style of play. 
they all play like a bunch of individuals and they look like they barely even like each other. There's no real togetherness in that Chelsea team. And for me, it's great to see Conte back. He is their best midfielder. I don't care how much they play for Enzo Fernandez. The influence that he has and what he brings to that Chelsea team is still unbelievable and it's priceless. But sit, think, put it in. If we're all sitting back as managers now, from sit outside looking in, how could you really say you want to go to a club like Chelsea with everything that you've seen? And let's oh, be thanks. real. From what we've seen, what manager do you honestly think Todd Bowley is going to give full control to? As a manager going into Chelsea, you know now, no matter how much of a story you sell Todd Bowley or how much of a presentation you do, he's going to do what he wants. You're not going to be able to bring in who you want and do what you want. So why would you go to a club like that? No, it's a great question. I actually brought it up to Fabrizio on our show earlier this week. I was like, have you heard of a coach or any coach that actually doesn't want to go to Chelsea because <laughs> of the mess they're in right now? I would imagine, and I mean, obviously, to me personally, I could imagine that Nagelsmann maybe is target number one for them, but they're trying to convince, you know, the move between Bayern Munich to make it happen or Nagelsmann to take the job now because it's very difficult to go in now with what's happening with Chelsea be able to turn everything around and then have success. But they are still in major competition and obviously European competition and still, you know, it's a bit of a mess in the Premier League right now, but still they're a decent squad of players. If you can get them taken, you might be able to make something happen. I just wonder if there's coaches out there who are turning this opportunity down. JJ, there was obviously rumour that Luis Enrique was spotted in London today anymore now. Ooh. Uh, I haven't heard anything sort of developing on on that sort of more so than we've already heard today. But it, I mean, sort of adding to your point, you know, that's such a risk for somebody like yep. a Nagelsmann. You know, and I think probably the managers who are mo looking at this sort of most, um, you know, sort of eyeing this as a potential next job, uh, you know, with a bit of hunger, with a bit of appetite, are probably those who have sat out of the game for the best part of the last season. So I'm thinking, you know, the, the Pochettinos, you know, guys who actually want to get back into the day-to-day, -day, whereas Nagelsmann, uh, you know, this would be like out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, you know, this is <laughs> the, de the, the risk that somebody like Nagelsmann would have of, bad form building up in the last couple of weeks of this season, then leading him into next season, you know, sort of under a cloud already, the list would be, uh, the, the risk would be quite substantial. So I think that's probably why a lot of potential candidates are approaching this one with caution. You know, Enrique has sort of thrown his hat into the ring for England, uh, you know, but not for Spurs when Antonio Conte was sacked and then suddenly Chelsea, uh, you know, that position opens up and I think his plans have probably moved forward a little faster than he hoped as well. So, you know, I think we keep hearing all of this about, oh, you know, Chelsea are going to do an exhaustive search into, you know, a potential head coach. I mean, if Enrique has visited London today, you know, that's fairly farly, far advanced. It doesn't sound like it's going to be that much, uh, you know, more exhaustive, uh, you know, if they're already potentially interviewing candidates and they're coming all the way to London for it. Certainly a wild situation at Chelsea Football Club and to everybody out there who's jumping in our chats, including you, Vic. I can see all of them right there. <laughs> jealous Manchester United PSG and Aston Villa fans Je on this part. Je jealous, oh. jealous of what? Does he seem where Aaron Emery's got us in the oh, table? Oh, Go to break. Go, don't give that's this guy. That's, don't that's give why this I love Chelsea fans. They're just so in denial of how much of a mess their club is right oh, now. Man. And it's turned into a play toy for Todd Bowley. That's the reality. And Also in denial. Goal. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then I look at Jao Felix as well, Ian. Fantastic yeah. performance, but he looks like he's playing for a move somewhere else already. Like he's he looks like he's bored of London already. 
<laughs> I'd love to hear it. Not many people say no, that's for sure. All right, let's get to a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss what's happening around the rest of Europe. All right, Coppa Italia is back and welcome back into everybody else out there watching House of Champions. Coppa Italia is obviously going through two legs at this stage right now. Juventus played to a 1-1 draw with Inter Milan yesterday. Cremonese going down by two goals to nil against Fiore. I think that's how the game finished up there. Fiorentina now won nine consecutive games in a single season considering all competitions for the first time since 1960. So congratulations to Fiorentina who look like they are they're the real deal coming to the end of this campaign. But the real discussion and talking point was what happened at the latter stages of the Juve against Inter Milan game. Lukaku targeted once again with racial abuse, taken to social media once again, received a red card. And by the way, I don't understand the red card, why he received the red card. For Shushin fans, for putting your fingers <laughs> to your lips, I don't understand why a player receives a red card after scoring that late equalizer from the penalty spot. Mike, I'll come to you first on this one. Okay, it's a complicated situation. Obviously, we got to discuss the fact that the game was an interesting game, um, but I'm getting fed up with this bullshit yeah. uh, racist abuse against uh, Lukaku in particular, but to all players around Europe. It's not just happening in Italy. Yeah. It's happening everywhere right now. Well, how many incidents have we counted on this year where it's happened in La Liga, it's happened in Syria, and this is the type of shit that needs to stop in football and I'm sick and tired of it gaining notoriety in the moment, and then it's forgotten about. Nothing happens. Syria, this happens again and again, and nothing happens. I'm interested to see how his teammates react, first and foremost. We've seen this happen with Juve, where their own players have gotten racial, uh, racist abuse, and players like Bonucci reacted horrifically wrong. I think this is awful handling of the situation from Syria, from the referee in itself. And at the end of the day, you know... I really hope that Inter, they galvanize around Lukaku and this becomes a thing that becomes a kind of good spot for them. But it's a shit situation. Can I just jump in real quickly and tell you, I'm kind of fed up with um, us actually having to discuss it so much on our show because we've been doing this show for, what, about four or five months now? And how many times has it come up? I don't know, maybe nine times in the last five, six months. I mean, realistically, the and you made a great point there, Michael. Realistically, we're not going anywhere right now. We're not getting better. The football's not getting better. It's getting worse as far as I'm concerned. The taking a knee, you see the English uh, teams in particular in European competition, one side takes a knee now. The taking a knee has become a bit of a farce. I mean, I have no idea how we step forward from a situation like this, especially when it comes to Italian football where it has been directed at Lukaku repeatedly. JJ, your thoughts? I mean, I think, uh, you know, there there have to be some real serious punishments. I don't think it's helped the situation that Inter Milan took so long to react to it as well. Yes, they put out a statement, but I mean, even some of Lukaku's former clubs had, you know, put, uh, you know, their statements public before Inter reacted to it. So, you know, I think that there needs to be, uh, you know, a lot more sort of uh, awareness, motivation, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, clubs when their players are racially abused like this, because it is such... Uh, you know, a repetitive recurrent topic uh, and one that, you know, badly needs to be stamped out. But ultimately, uh, you know, this comes down to identifying and really properly punishing, uh, you know, those found uh, guilty of, uh, you know, such awful behavior. You know, it's not 
enough to give them a slap on the wrist and say, oh, you know, next time you're going to get a stadium ban, ban them, you know, ban them now. You know, don't allow them back in stadiums again because this behavior is unacceptable and it's the only way that people will actually start waking up, uh, you know, and, and changing, uh, you know, these awful habits that they've uh, had and, and been allowed to continue to have for, for far too long from a footballing standpoint. Nigel? Um, <clears throat> I agree with JJ. I think it needs to be tougher and I agree with Mike. Uh, my take on it, Ian, is this. It's Italian football. I'm not surprised. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to be done. I think for me, when you talk to the players like Lukaku and all those players, they need to understand they're a different generation. In my generation, when I got racially abused, none of my teammates stood up for me. Only the black ones and ethnic ones kind of understood it. But for my white colleagues to stand up for me, they weren't interested. It wasn't them. It was it was new to them. Did you never this, have a player who stood up for you, Nigel, throughout, obviously, no, your career? Never no, we did in our generation, though. Like, when we got racially abused, it was like, oh, so I get on with it. Show them, like, that reverse psychology mentality. That was not me. I'm more of a Django than I am Samuel Jackson in Django. That's, that's the type of person I am. I'm more Django. <laughs> so, all I will say is, to the likes of Lukaku and Nemlock, do you. Don't be quiet. Don't take it. Don't make it acceptable. Any of yeah. your teammates to try and tell you to go a different way, oh, this and that, tell them to kiss your black ass. Be strong. Your generation is different. You have the power now. And I just wish sometimes a lot more of their colleagues in the dressing room will come out straight away instead of waiting and letting the letting it settle in until the it becomes mm -hmm. too unacceptable. Then they want to come and say something. Like, say something. These are your colleagues and your teammates. And one last thing, the reason why it's going so much is we have to be real about society. Look at the amount of idiots in politics right now in what they're doing around the world, not just mm -hmm. America or England, the amount of so-called politicians and what they're doing and what they're saying. Why are we surprised that the day-to-day -day idiot who can't even spell the word politics is acting like that? Because the people who have been voting in power are acting just as bad and saying just as dangerous stuff. And this is why these people are being inspired. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well said from all three of you there. And I think, obviously, as former players, we've all sort of experienced it in one way or another on the pitch, which is something you never want to say. But on the pitch, we have experienced it. And it's tremendously important to all three of us as well, including you, JJ, as well, obviously going through it in France and what's happened politically there right now this year as well. Um, but for me personally, just coming back from St. Pauli and, you know, watching a club that fights against discrimination like FC St. Pauli does across the whole of Europe. FC St. Pauli in particular, my club, obviously, I'm I'm going to always boast about them for what they do. For for They use soccer as a reason to fight against discrimination across all forms. It's not just racism, it's homophobia, sexism, whatever it may be. Um, but it touches my soul so deeply that the fact that football is second to them. Football is not number one to them. Humans are number one. And the only way we change this bullshit is by making humans number one. The reason why we don't stop games in the middle of it, fine clubs, ban fans from stadium, stop clubs from playing is because of this, is because of money. Because everybody out there is interested in the number one to everybody and that is money and it should never be over a human being. I'll leave it at that before we try to finish on some sort of a positive because we have to.
Let's turn to the German Cup. It was a DFB Pokal. Bayern Munich getting knocked out yesterday by Freiburg. Borussia Dortmund getting knocked out today by Leipzig. Leipzig have now reached the DFB Cup semi-finals four times in the last five seasons, more than any other team. Bayern Munich's elimination from the DFB Pokal means that they'll go three years without lifting the trophy for the first time this century. Michael, uh, let's turn it to a positive as we finish our show here. Not great for Bayern and Borussia Dortmund, but good for Leipzig. No, and great for Freiburg. I was watching the match yesterday. What a freaking missile from <laughs> Freiburg. I can't even pronounce the guy's name. Is it Hoffler? Lucas Hoffler, yep. Hoffler, yeah. Holy shit, man. I was watching the game, and it looked like, okay, Upamakano gets the first goal. Leroy Sané doing the weaving dribble left, dribble left. It was almost like watching a video game. And then when that ball went in the back of the net, Byron looked stunned. The whole arena looked stunned. And for the game to come down on a handball, on a penalty kick, which was a correct call on Jamal Musiala. It, hey, in a bit of a way, I thought Bayern was a, bit, was a bit arrogant in how they approached that. If you don't finish your chances against a team that's in the top 10 of Bundesliga, the Bundesliga is becoming much more competitive. And I think Bayern got found out against a Freiburg team that was opportunistic and just, got through. You know, listen, I just got to jump in real quickly because I haven't seen my good friend Nigel Rio Coker for a while. You know, I've been in Germany and oh, a lot has happened <laughs> since I've been in Germany. Apparently, not everything is right at Bayern Munich. Nigel, remember all that BS you were giving me this season? Uh, apparently not as all well at Bayern. Your thoughts? Ian, you've got way more experience than me and you know it. How serious are Bayern taking that cup? Let's 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 reflect right now. Oh, they do. Tell me oh, the two do. priorities for Bayern Munich this season now. No, they do. They take that that competition incredibly seriously, no doubt about it. They are desperately disappointed and, and immediately took apologizing for what happened yesterday. They do take it serious. Okay, well, again, I don't want to talk about Bayern Munich <laughs> unless it's Champions League and after they win the German, the Bundesliga. So, not interested. Go on, JJ. No, listen, JJ, I don't want to come to you on the German Cup here unless you have something to say here. But I will just, <laughs> I will just say that was a good apology from Nigel Rio Coker for all the nonsense that he has given me all season long about Bayern Munich. Apparently, things are not They're all still well. In. They wow. destroyed Dortmund to go back top of the league. They're still in the Champions League with a very good chance of qualifying. Like, how can you say always wrong at Bayern Munich? And they got Thomas Tuchel. Just got, they got Thomas. Five, of all managers, five, one manager that Pep Guardiola would not want to face in Champions League is Tuchel. First time, first time in 24 games, they just lost at home to Freiburg. You know, so if that doesn't mm, tell yeah, me that something's not all right there, then you know <laughs> what it is. I gotta talk, I gotta move on, Nigel. I'll, I'll accept your apology. Thanks very much. Let's go to France. Uh, JJ, it was an absolute banger from Ludovic Blas, the winner for Nantes. It did finish 1-0, right, against Lyon? It did indeed. So uh, probably no European football for Lyon, uh, you know, coming up next oh, wow. season. It's been a couple of years now on the bounce that Lyon haven't uh, reached uh, the, the continental competitions. You know, huge, huge setback for, uh, you know, such a, a big, proud French club, obviously under American ownership now or sort of in the process of, uh, you know, sort of coming under the American uh, pavilion. Uh, you know, hugely disappointing, but equally, uh, you know, two uh, you know, back-to-back uh, -to -back, uh, Coupe de France finals for, for Nantes. That is very impressive. You know, when you consider that Antoine Comborari came in, Nantes were on the verge of getting relegated out of Ligue 1, uh, you know, goes back to one of the clubs that he played at uh, as a player uh, and then, you know, suddenly leads them back into Europe, had some great, memorable matches at uh, Stade de la Bourgeois, which, you know, is fantastic to see when it's in full flow, as it was tonight. 
uh, you know, fans running onto the pitch to celebrate. And what a goal it was from Ludovic Blas. Now, what is really interesting about Coupe de France now is if not don't win it as defending champions, then the winners will either be Toulouse, uh, you know, who are fresh back in uh, in Ligue 1 after getting themselves promoted from Ligue 2, or second division, and, second division ANSI, who obviously knocked out Marseille, <laughs> Mike's beloved Marseille, uh, and could still get relegated from Ligue 2. So don't say that Coupe de France doesn't deliver because it really is the domestic cup competition Wait, that I, I believe has the most magic in Europe. <laughs> Ligue 2. They can get, not even they Ligue can get relegated from the second tier. And yeah, this, is their first se- this is their they first season fully professional. <laughs> <laughs> that is way more this... interesting than the Bundesliga. Uh. Thank you. <laughs> it just makes me think what might have been a JJ great breakdown of everything. As I see things shaping up, I'm just like, you know, this is the plight of being an OM fan. A diehard OM fan like I am. Oh, I this was their cup to win. It's their cup to win. JJ, real quickly, <laughs> before we do move on, Toulouse get the job done. You know what? I'd love to say that they can, but they've gone on a bit of a blip of form recently and ANSI's form in Ligue 2 has been pretty woeful since they knocked Marseille out. So who knows? Maybe they're a team for the big occasion, but it's not the first time that we've seen uh, lower league clubs reach the Coupe de France final. It actually happens more often than you think in France. So I wouldn't rule it out. I definitely think it'll be a close encounter, but uh, ultimately I think this is now a really good opportunity for Nantes to win back-to-back Coupe de France titles. Rafa with a great comment right there. It is theirs to lose. <laughs> very, very well good. said right there. I'm not sure if that's uh, better than Nigel's pronunciation of Ligue 2. <laughs> Nigel, give us one more. Ligue 2. Ligue 2. Ligue 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Nicht schlecht. Continental Nigel is the best, Nigel. And for that, that's his scheisse. <laughs> I know that alright we gotta get out of here guys it was a great show here we did have our timestamps. we didn't stack a stick by any one of them there sorry to our producer Des who's trying his best to get it under 50 minutes we're not far away but we did a good job today I appreciate everybody out there including Michael Hood Jonathan Johnson and oh yeah there's uh, Alexandra Lacazette up there no sorry it's Nigel Rio Coker up there with the beard I appreciate you boys it's great to see you all always um, we are back again on Friday as we preview the weekend coming up a big shout out and a big thank you to everybody for listening to House of Champions take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform we're available on Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast so make sure you uh, obviously leave us a rating and review but also as we recognise we're available on video so subscribe to us on on YouTube. We appreciate the follows, everybody. Guys, great as always. I appreciate you as always. JJ, enjoy tomorrow's Coupe de France. I hope we see an upset there because I do like the underdog getting the job done. But to you other boys, we'll see you again Friday.